Uh, we will have an opportunity on the 18th of August. We are going to um, have an opportunity to commission Josh and Krista and their family as they uh, go to Costa Rica for language school, and then uh, there'll be a reception following the service, so you'll have an opportunity as a church to say goodbye. Be sure to be here on the 18th or catch them before then. Uh, but I believe it's just a few days after that that they leave for 21st, 23rd, Costa Rica. Uh, I also wanted to add a th- word of thank you to John Hoppy, who, uh, who even took time off of work to make sure that we were prepared, and Ken Mogg, who labored tirelessly at his side to make the block party happen, and then a host of the rest of you who were here Saturday morning setting up and came and, and participated in ways that uh, made it a great success. I am uh, grateful to all of you. As we come this morning to John chapter 13, I have mixed feelings about preaching on Judas. <laughs> it's one of those, you know, do you just skip him, uh, you know, or do you, do you dig into him? And so uh, we're not going to skip him. We're going we're gonna to talk about Judas this morning and Jesus in, in relation to Judas, which really is, uh, I think, powerful and helpful to look at this relationship and what happens between them. We're in John 13. I'm going to start reading in verse 17 and go through verse 30. Hear then the word of God. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. But I'm not speaking to all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the one who sent me. And after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And so he testified and he said, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you is going to betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So the disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, Who is it? Jesus answered him and he said, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him and Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that it was because uh, Jesus had the, Judas had the money bag, and Jesus was telling him that uh, what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. And so after receiving the morsel of bread, though, he immediately went out, and it was night. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we gather as your people, because we want to know you, and to love you, and to worship you. We know that even as we gather, we come needing you to be at work within us, that we might be what you want us to be. Father, as we come to your word, we kneel before you and long for you to speak it to us in power and in truth, in ways that shape our hearts, move our will, and form our mind, that we might be more the men and women that you long us to be. In Jesus' name we pray and ask, amen. Like so many times before, Jesus pulled the twelve aside for some time alone. 
This is the last time he's going to pull them aside to be alone, but he's done this regularly throughout his ministry. They've had a period of ministry and he pulls them aside to spend time with them, to recharge with them, to talk to them, to debrief with them. It's a little bit like a small group. He pulls the twelve aside on a regular basis to go deeper, to do, build relationship, do relationship and go deeper. And so he pulls them aside and he washes everyone's feet and he sits down and he begins to teach them. To tell them things that he wants them to know. But even as he begins to teach them, we're told that his heart is troubled. That he is disturbed. That he's in pain even. He just washed Judas' feet. Knowing what he was about to do. And his heart aches. Jesus is fully human. And he just wants to get it over with. And I think that that sense in this as he moves on, as he just wants to get it over with, I think his whole life and ministry has been moving toward this point and what's in front of him is a painful something. And like you and I, I don't know about you, when they're sitting getting ready to give me a shot or something, I'm just like, you know, just do it. Like the, the anticipation is worse than the actual doing. And so there's this sense, I think just get it, it's time, let's do this thing. So in 21, we're told he's troubled in his spirit. And it's almost like he couldn't hold it in, even as he is, we're told that he's troubled. He says, he testifies, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Right? It's almost that he couldn't hold it in. He's been saying these things and, and he's troubled and he, and he just says it. One of you guys is going to do it. One of you guys is going to betray me. Disciples look around at each other. They're uncertain. They're a little bit confused. Verse 22, they looked at one another. They don't... They don't know who he's talking about. They're reclining at the table. Verse 23, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved is reclining close to Jesus. There's this, the intimacy of this, this whole scene that speaks of the, the depth of the betrayal, the pain of the betrayal. It's just the twelve reclined at the table in an intimate conversation. And Matthew, who also records... Uh, this incident at some level, Matthew says that they were all very sor- sorrowful and they began to say to him one after another, Lord, is it I? Right? So he drops this bombshell. So he threw a stone out into that pond and the ripples start to go out. They look at each other and it's like it, confused and sorrowful. What are you talking about? This is not what we want to hear. What, is it me? Are you, are you trying to tell me something? And it's something about the humility of all of them. And I guess in touch with their fallenness, any of them think, is it me that's going to fail in this way? Is it me that's going to stumble in this, this way? Is it I? So human. <laughs> in verse 24, I think is really human too. I mean, it's just so, I don't know, real to me. Simon Peter motions to Jesus, uh, to John. John is the one reclining at the table close to Jesus. And when he says that... Uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. John never names himself. In his whole gospel, he never names himself. But many times he does refer to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, I'm not sure how to take that. It would be very odd if any of you were to refer to yourself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, it's true of all of us, and there's a sense in which we can all say that. But anyway, here it is. John is, John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he's leaning on Jesus' breast. And he drops this bombshell in the middle of the room. And they're all looking around confused. And Peter 
catches eyes with John, and he's like, you know, I don't know if Jesus doesn't see it or whatever, says he motions to him, ask him who it is. You can just see Peter like, oh, John. I was like, all right, all right, I got it. So he leans in, and he asks Jesus, Lord, who is it? I think he whispers it. The rest doesn't really make sense to me as I read it, unless John, who's leaning close uh, to, to Jesus, as close to his, his breast, his chest, and turns around and in close quarters to Jesus, says, Lord, who is it? And I don't think the rest of the table heard him. And you'll see why here as it unfolds. Because Jesus replies, and I think Jesus answers loudly. I don't think Jesus uh, answers in the same tone because we're told Jesus answered them in verse 25 and verse 26. And he says, the disciple uh, asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered him and says, it is he to whom I give this morsel of bread when I have dipped. And so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Jesus, the son of Simon Iscariot. Well, we're told just in verse 29 and verse 29, some thought that he had said this because Jesus had the money bag and he was telling them to go buy some food for the feast or go give money to the poor. They didn't know why he said it. So I don't think they heard the question. They, they didn't hear the question, but they heard the answer. They heard Jesus said, it's the one in whom when I dip this and give it to him, that's the one. Jesus, uh, Judas heard it. You know, the rest of the table is confused. They're not sure why Jesus said it, what they're saying about Judas Everyone else is confused, but Judas knows he is exposed. He knows that Jesus knows. He hands him the bread, so Judas is in close quarters. Judas may have heard the question. I don't know. But there was something about that interaction between Jesus and Judas at that moment when he hands him the morsel. Judas is exposed, and he knows it. He knows that Jesus knows. And this is the moment to repent. When we are exposed in our sin. When we are exposed in our betrayal. When we are exposed in those things. This is the moment for Judas to, to fall down before Jesus and say, I'm sorry, it is I. I don't, you know, there, here's the moment to make it right with Jesus. But he doesn't. This is the moment, instead of repenting, that he hardens his heart. You know, and the, and the way the text says it is that at this moment, Satan enters him. At this moment, his heart hardens to the point that he's moved by the enemy to carry out that which is in his heart. And Jesus famously tells him, what you are about to do, do it quickly. And Judas abruptly gets up and he leaves. And as I said, no one really knows why. You know, they think he's running an errand for Jesus, that he's on some, uh, some good errand, but he's not. Right? He's on a darker errand to betray Jesus into the hands of his murderers. Literally to betray Jesus to his death. And then that section ends and it says, And he went out immediately and it was night. Night had fallen. Jesus had said throughout his ministry, work while it is the day. Work while it is the day. And he talks about himself as the light of the world and saying again and again, we have to work while it is day. Well, you have the, well the light is with you. But here at this moment, as Judas leaves, he says, it says it was night. Now let's just back up for just a moment and take a look at Judas, the betrayer, and in his, in his interaction with Jesus because Jesus is, is in this 
as we looked at last week, is in this moment with this intimate moment of teaching with his disciples. We said that the next five chapters cover one night in the life of Jesus and these disciples. And, and he pulls them and he begins to, to have this really, I think, important, you know, if you, if you knew you were going to die tomorrow and you had your family and your friends gathered around you, I mean, what you say at that moment, this is the, this is, this is the last, last words. Here's what I want you to know as I leave you. And he begins to do this, this instruction about a fruitful Christian life as he serves them and he, and he tells them, I give you an example of, of who you are to be and what you are to do and no servant is greater than his master. If I am your Lord and your master and you are not greater than me, follow me, be, be like me, be imitators of me. He has much to tell them, but he finds himself, even as he is doing this, qualifying his teaching. Right? Because he first he, he washes their feet and in the midst of the feet washing. Peter objects, as Peter is wont to do. And Peter says, you can't do it. And Jesus teaches him and he says, no, you, you are clean. You know, all of you are clean by your faith in me, your trust in me as your Lord, as your Savior. You are clean. I just need to wash your feet. You know, you daily need to be with me to be in repentance, to have yourself cleansed from where your feet touch the world, so to speak, as you walk out. He says, you're all clean, but then he qualifies it and says, but not all of you. Not every one of you. And then he goes on just a couple of minutes later in verse 17 as he's teaching them again about how they are to live their lives in, in imitation of him. He's given them an example and he says at the end of that, and blessed will you be if you do it. If you live this way. If this is you. And then he says, well, I'm not talking to all of you. <laughs> right? Not all of you are clean. I'm not talking to all of you. He qualifies it again. I'm not talking about all of you. Verse 17. One of you won't follow my example. One of you will not be blessed. One of you is not my own. One of you is, is not doing my word all this time. Verse 18, even as he says that, one of you, I'm not talking about all of you. I know whom I have chosen. And the scriptures will be fulfilled. I'm not talking about all of you. I know whom I have chosen. He utterly sets Judas apart from those he has chosen. One of you is not only not chosen, but he is a traitor. And it's not until after Judas, see, he qualifies like this each time he says this, all of you are clean, but not, not all of you, not every one. You know, all of you will be blessed if you do this, but not all of you. You know, one of you will not be blessed. And he, it's not until Jesus leaves that he's free to speak, like in verse 15, there in your bulletin under the second point, John 15, 16, he says to the disciples then, you did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you so that you will go and you will bear fruit that will last. No qualification. Right? He speaks to the chosen. The one who's not has departed. And he addresses the group unqualified. I chose you. I appointed you. And you will bear fruit and your fruit will abide. Your fruitfulness is not temporary like Judas is. Right? Your fruit will abide, he says to this group. You're not one of those two middle soils. If you remember the parable of the soils, there's the, the, the hard that is just the path and the seed hits, and there's the good soil that bears a, a harvest, and there's two middle soils where it says that it had no root. And though it 
sprouted up quickly and for a while. He said it had no root and it doesn't abide. The sun scorches it, the temptations destroy it. And so we see, he says, you're not among those. I I know I've chosen and appointed you for fruit that will last. You are my own. Like John 17, the reason that it will last and that that it will go well with them is because Jesus, John 17, as he prays over this group, again with Judas gone, he says, while I was with them, I kept them, which you have given to me. I have guarded them. I keep them and I guard them. And not one has been lost except the son of destruction that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But of those which you have given me, I have kept them and I have guarded them and I haven't lost any of them. See, the most difficult thing about Judas is that he's one of the twelve. Right? He's he's a professing believer. Right? He's in the inner circle here. He is is a dedicated churchgoer. Right? He's followed Jesus around for three years. He's been part of this thing. And outwardly, he'd answered Jesus' call. But the thing that comes out here at the end that John makes clear in hindsight as he writes the gospel is that Judas's heart has never been in it. Right? He had never been <clears throat> living a life of obedience to Jesus Christ. A life of love and service to Him. You, he knew it all along. Look in your bolt and then under the second point, John 6, 70. This is back in John 6, earlier in his ministry. He says, did I not choose you, the twelve? Didn't I pick you guys out? And he says, yet one of you is a devil. And he spoke of Judas. Right? Yet one of you is a devil. He knew for early on, one of them wasn't a believer. Right? Now, picking Judas as one of the twelve is not the same as election to salvation from the foundations of the world. It's not the same as as he said back in John 15, but I chose you and I appointed you and you'll bear fruit that abide because if he chose you and appointed you, your fruit would abide. But his fruit doesn't abide. He says from the beginning he was a devil. Jesus makes it clear that Judas is among them to fulfill the scripture. He even quotes it as he goes in John 17 and 18. He says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture is going to be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Psalm 41. David, and probably Ahithophel. David in his own betrayal. But the, but the writers of the scripture under the inspiration of God says this. We see. It was a type and a picture of what would happen to Jesus. Psalm 41.9. Even my close friend, whom I had trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. And he says, I'm telling you this prophetically, so when it all goes down, you will believe, right, that I am he. Verse 20, 19 and 20. He prophetically exposes Judas, and it hardens Judas, and and it confirms his chosen in their faith. Right, I'm telling you this, so when it all goes down, you will believe. But even as he tells it to them, even as he exposes it to them, Judas is hardened and he leaves. Now let me just back up and pull then a few takeaways from this. Spend the rest of my time with just a few takeaways on this this whole interaction of Judas in this inner circle for all these years. Who Jesus says from the beginning was a devil who fulfills the scripture in betraying him and leaving him. 
And the first thing that we, we, I think, need to come away with, and that for most of us, as you read it, I don't know about you, but the first thing as you read it is this whole sense that it speaks very clearly and loudly of the necessity of a genuinely changed and obedient heart. Right? Of a genuinely changed and obedient. Judas' heart was not changed. His heart was not truly with Jesus. And I think he knows it. Judas knew it. Right? He's been listening to Jesus for years. But he doesn't own it. He's not obeying it. He's not living it. He's not loving it. Jesus could say back in John 6 that he was a devil. We call this nominal Christianity. Nominal is a, is a word that comes from, the, it's related to the Latin. You know, we do nomenclature. It's when you name things. And a nominal Christian is someone who's a Christian nominally, in name, but in name only. So, <clears throat> He's a nominal Christian in name only. He's, his religion is not about serving Christ, of hearing His words and doing them and following Jesus. His religion is about Himself. And when things started going in ways that He didn't like, He turns on Him. He turns on Jesus and He walks away. Right, this is what Matthew is talking about under the final point in your bulletin. Um, the verses may be out of order, but find Matthew 7, 21 to 24, where Jesus says to them, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, that is in name. <clears throat> they say to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who does that will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. See, and here's the rub, right? Is the, the changed heart and the changed life. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, but the one whose actual heart and life is changed, right? who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many, many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy? And I think this describes Judas to a T. He sends out the, the, the 12 and he sends out the 70 and he gives them power to cast out demons and to heal in his name. And they have this ministry where the, where the 70 go out and they have a, a powerful ministry and they come back. And Jesus says, not all who prophesy and cast out demons and do the mighty works. He says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Everyone who hears, and then he goes into this whole metaphor of the man who builds his house on the rock and the sand. And the metaphor is this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Not everyone who follows me th for three years. You know, not everyone who, who comes to all of my talks you know, not, not someone who, you know, goes and does some of the things that I'm, you know. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. Right? Anyone can hear the words. Anyone can go to church. You know, but the important part is not the hearing of the words, it's the doing of the words. Right? That's what Jesus says. Right? Anyone can hear the words. You can turn on your TV at channel 9. You know, you can flip through your radio stations. You can buy the CDs. You can go to church year after year. You can, anyone can hear the words. The important part, he says, is doing the words. James chapter 1, 22, there in your bulletin, he says, James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Why? Because you're just deceiving yourselves. Your heart is not changed, right? A life that does not love what it hears and is growing in conformity to what it hears, becoming more like the speaker, more like the Lord who calls him. 
the life changing and maturing and growing in Christ-likeness. John chapter 12, just the last chapter, when the whole thing of the breaking of the alabaster base and perfuming Jesus before His death. In that chapter, it's revealed 5 and 6, it says that, that Judas was a thief. And the reason he objected was because Judas was a thief. And that he was stealing from the money bag. And he thought that should have been sold because it would go into the money bag and he would have access to it. We get this glimpse into his heart. Right? He often heard Jesus speak about money. Do you know Jesus spoke about money more than any other single topic? More than about heaven. More than about hell. More than about faith. He spoke about money. Jesus, Judas heard Jesus speak about money and wealth all the time. But he remained greedy and selfish and dishonest. And his heart was not changed. He was not a follower of Jesus. He was a listener. And he showed up. But he wasn't a follower. He was a thief. He wasn't a doer. See, and the sobering thing about all of this is that no one knew. No one knew. They all looked confused. When Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me, it strikes me that, that, that the group didn't look around and go, I knew it. Right? Judas. I knew it, buddy. You're the guy. They looked around confused. Even when Jesus gave them the morsel and he went out, they thought he went to buy food or to give to the poor. Nobody knew it. Boyce, there in your bulletin, he says, Here in the twelve was one who had lived with the other disciples for three years, and yet was totally unknown to them in terms of his true character. Outwardly, it's impossible to tell. Only his going out made it plain. 1 John 2.19, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they were not of us. And it was only their going out that made it plain that they were not of us. This explains those who walk away from the faith. Judas walked with Jesus for years but never belonged to Jesus, never knew Him, never had given His heart and His life to Him. And when it, things got tough, and they were in Jerusalem, and He knew things were going bad, and Jesus was not doing what He expected Jesus to do, and how many times have I heard that come out? Jesus is not doing what I expect Him to do. I'm not really sure. I'm really pleased with Him right now. And so Judas walks away. It explains there are many who walk away from the faith they did Christianity for a while, but here's my reading of the Scripture. Their heart was never changed. They did Christianity for a while. They were churchgoers for a while. Maybe they grew up in the church, you know, so they, they went to church for a while. But their heart was never changed. Their heart was never Jesus's. I never knew them. And the response to the realization that our heart is in the wrong place is not despair, but faith. Jesus invites us to get real. He wants to expose our phoniness. He wants to expose our shallowness, not to embarrass us, but to invite us to reality, to depth. He invites us again. At that moment, Jesus had the opportunity to give himself to Christ. He invites us to give ourselves to him. 
Second thing I want us to see real quickly is the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus, was tempted in all ways that we are. Right? And yet He was without sin. That's what Hebrews 4 tells us. Right? All of us experience relational brokenness. All of us at times feel betrayed. Big ways, small ways, close friends, co-workers, bosses, one of the twelve, you know, brothers and sisters, even at church, it can happen. There's hurt feelings, there's uh, ways that we hurt each other and let each other down and even turn on each other. We all experience relational brokenness. Relational pain is at the core of our human experience. And there's no one who can hurt us like the people who are closest to us. Whether it's at work and there are people we work with who stab us in the back or where at home there's dishonesty or infidelity or there's no one who can hurt us like the people who are closest to us. And Jesus knows this very well. Like us, He has suffered. And in His suffering, He is tempted. He, I'm sure, as He is tempted in all ways like as we are, I'm tempted to strike back. I'm tempted to be angry. I'm tempted to revenge. I'm tempted to get even. I'm tempted to return evil with evil. Tit for tat, right back at you. Hate, bitterness. But observe our Savior, the one who least deserved to be abused in this way. Suffering ultimate betrayal. See him loving his enemy to the end, right? To the uttermost, right? He returns the evil that he's about to receive from Judas's hand with, with complete goodness. In kindness, radical goodness. Imagine the patience of Jesus, knowing for all these years. And he must have treated him as well as he treated all of them, because none of them knew Judas was the one. Jesus didn't single him out, treat him poorly. Though he knew the patience of our Savior with even his betrayer, we see a Savior who, while we were still sinners, enemies died for us. Even as Jesus at this moment is washing his traitors, his betrayers' feet. Even at that moment, in an intimate gesture of friendship and intimacy, offers him bread. He's been tempted like as we are, but he says, let us with confidence draw near then to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy, that we might find grace to help in our time of need because Jesus in his own conduct loves his enemies to the moment he walked out the door never to return and to do his dirty deed. To that moment he loved him and was gracious to him, served him, was kind to him, didn't even betray him to the rest of the group in that sense. A Savior who is silent even as he is before his shearers, even as he gives himself for us. There is mercy, there is grace to help us to be like Jesus. As he tells us again and again to put away bitterness and to put away wrath and leave revenge unto God and don't let those things take root in your heart and give the devil a foothold like he had in Judas's heart. Right? That there is help. There is grace. And finally, let me just say that worship is the response. Awe of a sovereign God who orders and directs all things. Even the betrayal of the Son of God into the hands of, of, of His enemies, of the one who will betray Him to His death. All of these things. Jesus didn't just know what Jesus, Judas was going to do. He let Him do it. He, he even at the very end commanded him to do it. What you're about to do, do it quickly. 
Jesus is not a victim under the thumb of the traitor. Jesus is the Lord commanding and ordering even these events according to the scriptures that they would be fulfilled and bring about God's purposes in the world, in our salvation. Acts 2.23, this Jesus who was delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, who was working, as Ephesians 1.11 says, who was working all things according to the counsel of His will. Here is a God who is utterly in control. Even in the worst deeds of evil men, unintentionally and secretly serving His sovereign purposes, for our salvation, for His honor and glory. Such knowledge should drive us to our knees before the One who knows our hearts. Pray with me. Father in Heaven, as we study this very sober passage of Scripture, of the betrayal of Judas and his walking away, of the revelation of years of dishonesty, Father, let it drive us to our knees that we would strive after genuineness of heart. That we would strive after true obedience. That we would not be hearers of the Word only, but that we would be doers. That we would give ourselves to You and to Your kingdom and to Your purposes. That we would pursue lives transformed into the image of Christ. That we would follow Him. Oh, come near in the power of Your Spirit. Recapture us for Yourself. Drive us into genuineness and authenticity. And lead us to worship for a God who graciously orders all things for our salvation and gives us help in our time of need. To you we come now, giving you our hearts afresh. In Jesus' name, amen.